1: Welcome to the fourth episode of the Counterpunch Podcast, a weekly cracked rackets production. Alongside my co-host, Archid Suresh, I'm Richard Mai, and we're here to break down, analyze, and yes, sometimes argue about the biggest college and pro tennis headlines. Archid, how are you doing, my friend? Richard,
0: I'm doing fantastic. Much better than last week, if where our listeners actually heard me dying. But <laughs> feeling a lot better, doing a lot better.
1: There's tennis on. It's jam-packed. Let's get to it. Alright, so the first headline, the obvious one here. Andre Rublev finally gets that coveted Masters 1000 in Monte Carlo. Third time's the charm on Masters 1000 finals for him. It's a great final. I really enjoyed it. It was very exciting down to the very last shot. Uh, What did you think?
0: Yeah, I mean, it feels like a long time coming for Rublev. It's really been... (sighs) How long have we known about him now? Since... Or at least he's been a consistent top 10 player since probably that fall of 2019. Um, Yeah, I'm super excited for Rublev. You can tell how much it means to him. He's clearly very well-liked in the locker room and amongst fans. I don't think there's anyone in the world who has a bad thing to say about Andre Rublev. So, yeah, I couldn't be happier for him great match i didn't know how he got through that in that when he was down 4-1 to holger runa in that third set but credit to him he had some absolute battles in the semi-final against fritz and the final against runa yeah i mean great performances from him and just he just showed really really promising signs of
1: maturity and I mean, the game was great as well so so for a little statistic here since uh since Mid-October 2020, Rulev has only fallen out of the top 10 once for two weeks, was number 11, and then jumped right back into the top 10 and stayed there until now. Um, so my question that I'm going to kind of tailor here for you, Archer, is what does it mean? Like, what can we take away from the fact that he's been in the top 10 for this long and this consistently, but is just now getting that first Masters 1000? Is it, you know, such a great player but can't close? Is it kind of consistency? Where does it lie for you? Well, I think, I think it's a, a convolution
0: of everything. Like, it's just a little bit of... Him always being there, being consistent, he's always in the latter stages of these big events, whether it be the Masters One Thousand, the Five Hundred. I mean, a lot of people make fun of the Five Hundred success that Andre Rublev has, but there's a reason why he is always in the top ten, and that's because he's so reliable at getting to these latter stages of the draw. He has run into his pro, he has run into certain problems and run into players who quite frankly, are a little bit better than him at the biggest stages, particularly in the slams. He does have a pretty bad quarterfinal record there. I, in fact, I don't... Has he gotten to a slam semifinal yet? I don't think he has. But th- I, the way I see it is that for Rublev, it's, it's been a long time coming and he's finally gotten over the hump. So whether that means... It's a sign of things to come where he's made a giant leap. I'm not sure if that's particularly the case. I think he certainly made strides, especially mentally. Like, I don't think mentally Rublev wins the matches that he was down in this time last year. He seems to be in a much better place. The game looks good. He's, I think he's improved his backhand a little bit. He's improved his ability to slide in and out. He was a, I mean, some of the lobs he was throwing up in that final, he looked like Andy Murray out there. I'll tell you that. But, yeah, credit to Rublev for consistently putting himself in positions to compete for the biggest titles and it paid off for him where maybe he didn't run into Stefano Tsitsipas in the final or he didn't run into Novak Djokovic. Not to take anything away from Holger Runa who has already won a Masters 1000 in his short career, but there is something to be said about the fact that Holger is a, can sometimes be a little unpredictable and immature and I think a year from now, Holger probably closes out this match and wins it. I mean, he was a point away from 5-1 in the third set. Well, but yeah. Rublev, Rublev hung in there mentally, and uh, Bruna, I don't think he was at his complete best physically, but he he played a good match and came up just short. So, I mean, nothing to be ashamed about for Runa.
1: Well, yeah. Well, Rublev is a seven-time quarterfinalist, never made it to the semifinals, <laughs> And the, and, a a, okay. yes. and the one slam that he's never made okay. Yes, and the one that he's never been a quarterfinalist at is Wimbledon. Uh, he has three quarterfinal appearances at the U.S. and then two at both the Australian at the, and the French. He made the fourth round in 2021 at Wimbledon, but that is as far as he's gone. Um, how do you feel after this in terms of Rublev's chances heading into Paris? I feel really good about him. He's been showing off that he can really play well on the clay. We already knew that he could, but this is like a reinforcement. Like you said, there are certain weapons that are that he's been working on, and you can see, you know, they're coming to fruition. Like that backhand. It's really important to have a stable backhand. Um, there are some players who have done very well without a stable backhand. Like for example, <laughs> Matteo Berrettini who uses a slice backhand just to and relies on that to set up his forehand. But it's good to see that Rublev can now attack on the backhand side as well as the forehand because it used to be in that kind of limbo space where he was using his backhand to set up a forehand shot. And it's good to see that he doesn't have to rely on that strategy anymore. And it's going to do a lot of wonders for him. Um, his serve looks good. It's uh, consistent. I mean, that's that's all you can really ask for from a serve at the bare minimum is just to be consistent. Um, yeah. And his forehand, as always, absolute weapon. So I have a lot of confidence heading into the rest of the clay court swing, into Paris. Um, how do you feel?
0: Yeah, I've generally been pretty high on Rublev on clay. I think the bounce and the sometimes the heaviness of the condition makes his ball a little bit tougher to get back, I think. He does a really good job of using that extra time to back into that ad side corner where he's able to kind of pummel forehands wherever he wants. But given the slides that I'm sorry strides that he's shown sliding into his corners and you know really defending well against Holger and Taylor Fritz, uh, he was I mean he was returning great against Taylor. I don't know if you got to see all of that, but he was. He was doing a great job of getting things right back at Taylor. I remember Fritz at some point in the match, I think it was late in the second set, which he eventually lost 6-1, but he um, he was serving everywhere. And he, he after he gets broken for one of like the 10 times that he did, he looks at his box and just says, I don't know where to serve. They're all coming back. So uh, credit to Rublev. He has been very, very good so far. On the clay, I, yeah, I, I'm generally high, on uh, high on him at the French Open. I'm surprised he hasn't done as well. Oh wait, well, I mean, last year he did make the quarterfinals and lost to Chilich, who was peaking. But yeah, I, generally, I'm I'm quite high on Rublev. I think if he keeps doing what he does now and putting himself in positions, maybe a, a draw breaks his way at a slab, and maybe he can get to the semis or even the
1: final. We'll see. A big thing that I really enjoy with watching Rublev is that he's really good at the transition from defense to offense. And that's such a crucial thing to be able to do because a lot of times you're going to get put on the defensive, especially when you're going up against someone with a big serve. Um, And I know we have bigger servers than this, but Taylor Fritz is a very strong serve. And the ability to not only return those, but also take back control of those points is really important. And I think that's something that Rublev does very well. And I'm excited to see how he can, you know, continue and do that. Heading into slams where, like we've mentioned, not gone past the quarterfinal yet. Last question with Rublev, do we think this is the time where he can go past, where he can slash will go past that quarterfinal? Uh, Because I think it is. Well, I think he can. Yeah, he can. I. I think it partially. No one. It all depends on the draw. Yeah, exactly. It depends on the draw. Yeah. Because if Mm -hmm. he ends up looking across the net in the quarterfinals and he sees like Yannick Sinner or Carlos Alcaraz, that's going to be a big undertaking.
0: Exactly. Or say he runs into Djokovic because say he's the. I don't know. Well, right now I think he's right now he's the six. He would be the six seed, I guess, but. Even then, like, <laughs> I think he'd like his chances if, say, he were to maybe draw a Daniel Medvedev. <laughs> I, well, he, he generally likes the Stefanos matchup more than he likes a Medvedev matchup, but he did beat Medvedev last time he played him. I think yeah. he might like that one on the clay. We'll see how things go for Rublev. I...
1: Well, we bring up Stefanos and Medvedev because there's a little bit of, <laughs> you know, drama and Monte Carlo between them. Well, no, sorry, not between the two of them, but between them and somebody else. Well, their um, cohort, that
0: next-gen yeah. cohort's got some got some spiciness to it.
1: I'll let you start with the Medvedev one. Go ahead. Well, we're back at it.
0: Sasha Zverev and Daniil Medvedev having some, some choice words for each other in their post-match interview. You know, I will try and pull up some of the quotes for you listeners. But in particular um when it comes to this match let's provide some context um sasha zverev served it, this was in their monte carlo is it a quarterfinal or around it was a round of 16 or a quarterfinal something around there yeah Oh, it, it was a round of 16 now that i remember yep. but um late night session zverev Serving for, Zverev serves for the match twice, has two match points in the third set tiebreaker. But By the way, Zverev did serve for the match in the second set, and then got broken, and then also served for the match in the third set at 5-4, respectively. But, so, Medvedev, completely within his rights, goes to the restroom in between a a really quick 90-second period between play. He asks the chair umpire for permission, and then goes and hold on let me pull that up and so zverev here let me let me uh, let me see where i can find it here we go um okay i have the medvedev post post match pest conference up but zverev essentially says when asked how he feels he give some choice words and then says, well, I think I'm particularly one of the more fair players. And I believe in fair play and sportsmanship more than many other players. And it's sad to see that Daniil clearly doesn't as he, you know, went to the restroom. uh, and completely disrupted my rhythm. And then uh, the match capitulated from there for him is basically the way in which that he phrased it medvedev on the other hand had you know a disagreement so i'll read i'll read this out but he essentially says yeah obviously i think that 90 i'm for great friends with maybe 90 players on tour with maybe 50 i'm like not like best friends but we have a good relationship off court and so usually when something bad happens he says okay let's say i'm not fair I'm not engaging in fair play because I know sometimes that I'm not yesterday with the thing with uh with Sasha with the toilet well I wanted to pee what does he want me to do and let's take it step by step so two all no three two I have like five break points or whatever he manages to hold congrats I love that line. But then then I make the game 40 love for me. I go to the toilet and then I lose the next two games. He's serving for the match and he's saying I'm going to the toilet to make him play worse. Sasha is living in his own world. I already had like five players in the locker room coming to me and saying, come on, Daniil, why are you so unfair? Smiling to indicate that obviously they were joking. And then he says, yeah, Sasha, when he loses, we can find maybe 25 interviews of him where he does say some strange things. Again, honestly saying if guys like Casper, I don't know, Andre, maybe Karen, even Diego, let's say I, let's say those guys are very fair play and I'm sorry when I do something that's not sportsmanlike against those guys and I feel very bad about it. And I apologize to me. Sasha is not this guy. Sasha is not like Casper. He's not like Diego. He's not like Andre. When he says someone is not fair play, you're like, okay, great. Look at yourself in the mirror.
1: Whoa, that's strong. And honestly, the way that I kind of look at this is that you also need to think, okay, Sasha claims that he, you know, his rhythm, you know, that that, you know, Daniel did it to. He won the next two games. Not only that, but also if you want to blame your loss on a bathroom break, A, that looks really stupid. But B, there's also – you can think about uh, – I thought of it this way. There's also the psychological part of it where if he's sitting down during Danielle's little bathroom break.
0: He was standing and the he's, whole time. Whatever.
1: And if he's standing there and he's thinking to himself that this is to disrupt his rhythm, he's disrupting his own rhythm. We've seen players go on bathroom breaks and still lose the match, and it's because it was against players that didn't allow a bathroom break to mess with their head. So regardless of Daniil's intentions, whether he needed, you know, uh, just to go take a piss or if he was trying to disrupt Sasha's rhythm, at the end of the day, if you're Zverev, just take a few breaths, don't let it get to your head and keep playing. I mean... But he won at, the at next two point, games. It, exactly.
0: So I, I, it didn't really affect him is what, I'm, is what I'm getting at. I mean, he breaks Medvedev's serve, and then he, so he wins those two games and is serving for the match. I don't think that breaks your rhythm. Quite frankly, I, I do kind of agree with Daniel Medvedev where every time zverev has one of these big losses, he finds a way to blame it on something else that wasn't his fault. Exactly. And I, and we all know that witsverev there it's it's quite clear that he doesn't really need any extra help in losing these tight matches so on this side, I would deal i would i would remain on the side that is relatively consistent with how things have been, and that's Medvedev so
1: yeah, but there was some more smaller <laughs> drama. Involving some, you know, messages on the uh, camera siding, where Stefanos, um, where Stefanos pass compared what was it U.S. clay court players to uh, I, I think he, I think he
0: said I think he said clay courts in the U.S.
1: are are like, like unicorns on skateboards. <laughs> yeah, what does that mean? I don't know, but what I do need to ask is: Have the
0: ATP drug tested him yet?
1: I'd love to know that. I think he was um, – I'm surprised that he didn't play that match yesterday. Um, but the thing is, the next round – Yeah, and, and he and he definitely
0: wrote that knowing that he would play Taylor Fritz in the next round. Ra- or he could play Taylor Fritz in the next round.
1: Yes, and he did. And then Taylor responded very slyly you know, after beating Stefanos with his camera message, which read, USA Clay, and then three question marks. I'm all for it. For starters, it. for starters, Taylor has been playing very great on the clay recently. He looks really good on the clay. It's nice to see that. I mean, there's been some questions about how the Americans would do on clay. Obviously, we all know the Americans. Yeah, I mean, we all know the Americans are. Pro- I'd say probably most comfortable on the hard court, but it's good to see um, that you know Taylor's playing well on the clay. And to agree with you, I'm all for it. This was fun.
0: Yeah, I mean Well, what what did Jesse Pagula and Coco Golf talk about? There there should be more trash talk in tennis. Well, I, I like this kind of stuff. It's fun, Add some personality. This is how you lean into the marketing of a sport in a post Serena, post Roger world.
1: Yeah. But it's also and it's also not, you know, malicious. Yeah. It's, it's in good fun. Yeah. Um you could tell was, that after the whole situation went down, the guys were, you know, lighthearted about it. It wasn't a yeah. big thing.
0: I pretty yeah, and obviously they meant it as a joke, and Taylor was quick to say that obviously like it didn't really hurt his feelings or anything like that. They were both just trading jabs at each other for fun, and that's. And also, as we
1: know historically, I mean Taylor Fritz loves a good joke. Um, he loves to banter with the other Americans and have a little fun there, and so it's good to see his personality come out. And like you said, when you had you know four big uh, personalities kind of domineering the tennis world for so long, it's good to see these young guys because it's kind of the off court um, or like post-match kind of like behavior and charisma that kind of gives them the popularity and, you know, brings more traction to the sport. But yeah. Sorry. And when you don't have
0: those players who are having the brilliant on-court success of a Serena, a Roger, a Rafa, a Novak, When you don't have those players, you have to lean into personalities and market the sport and create fun moments that you can send out on
1: socials. Brings eyeballs to the sport. Nick Kyrgios, Alexander Bublik, Gael Monfils, all very entertaining guys. That Even guys like like Medvedev, who's always a fun watch in the post-batch press conferences.
0: Yeah. France, like Francis Tiafo when he threw or when he pretended to hit the ball at Medvedev after in that changeover in their Indian Wells semifinal. Yeah. St- stuff like that, which we know is all in good jest, but shows off the player's personality in ways that maybe it didn't happen 10, 15, 20 years ago.
1: Now, also in Monte Carlo, we saw finally the unexpected. Novak Djokovic lost a match. <laughs> um, and then he won his next match in the first round of Barcelona, but then he lost right after that to Dusan Lajovic. So he's now two, he's lost two of his last three matches. The guy that we thought was so unbeatable and, you know, on a whole nother level, a whole nother tier. Losing two out of his last three matches. I mean... I, I honestly don't know what to think. I remember texting you when he lost to Ljubicic, and just about, and just you know asking what is going on right now. Yeah, what do you take out of this? And I mean, I said it then. I'll
0: say it now. I wasn't really fussed about it. The Monte Carlo loss to me wasn't super surprising. He generally doesn't perform well in Monte Carlo. For well, he hasn't for the past couple of years. Obviously, he's won the event many times, but he hasn't since. I I don't even know when, but he hasn't won in the last couple of years with the loss to Dan Evans in 2021, last year losing to Davidovich Fokina. This year he loses to Massetti. I, I wasn't super shocked at the Monte Carlo loss. I was a little bit concerned given that he seems to have tweaked something in his arm. I remember seeing video of him in practice and grimacing when he was flexing that arm a little bit. I wouldn't be – I don't know. And with the loss against Lajevic, he was clearly off. Lajevic said so himself. The first serve percentage was way down. He wasn't quite generating the same consistency and depth that he always does with his ground strokes, nor the power. But
1: Also, my my apologies. I I accidentally said Barcelona. I meant Bosnia-Herzegovina. But I think with that, also we need to take an account, for starters, like you said – not the greatest history in Monte Carlo. Um, but then there's also I think there's a very purposeful reason why he didn't go to Barcelona and he went to one of the two fifties like yeah. he did. Um and I feel like players I mean, we're always gonna make a big spectacle when, you know, the number one seed, the favorite, whatever, like the guy that's on fire loses.
0: Well, when it's Djokovic especially it's when it's Djokovic. It's a big thing. But.
1: but like we always but we say the same thing when someone beats, you know, Schwiantek or when somebody beats, you know, Alcaraz or Medvedev, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, at the end of the day though, it's not as big as we think it is when it's at those smaller tournaments because a lot of times players are just going there to get more, you know, practice, more reps, you know.
0: Yeah, just to frankly, get that practice not- to,
1: you know, get all of the kinks out, right? Yeah,
0: quite frankly, I'm not super worried about Novak on clay. Typically, he ramps up his schedule kind of like the way he does. I also wouldn't be shocked if we see him pull out of Madrid. I don't think the altitude would be super favorable to his arm. But back to my point, usually he doesn't He doesn't really play his best tennis until he kind of gets into the Rome stretch and then leads into Paris. Yeah, I was going to say, Rome is probably going to be where...
1: Tennis. We can kind of put a finalization on how well do we think he's going to do. Well, because I still does, wouldn't.
0: I still wouldn't call it a finalization because say he loses maybe second. But round I'm saying if Rome, anything, you know, it gives us I a think, better idea.
1: Like my point is that Rome, how he does in Rome, is going to be a much better indicator for us of how he's going to do it at the French, rather than say Monte Carlo, Madrid. Yeah, absolutely. Right. It's Rome since it's closer. Um, more I. I mean, out of the three Masters 1000 before um, Roland Garros, it's probably the most comparable to, you know, conditions-wise. Yeah. The wise. Con- yeah. Um, which is why I'm ha- very happy that it is that close, you know, to uh, the French Open. It is the last Masters 1000. But I think that's really where we, you know, do our big takeaway for what we can expect from Novak heading into Paris. This is just kind of a blip in the timeline. But still, I think it's very... Odd that Novak's lost two out of the last three. It's so yeah. big.
0: But, I wouldn't be yeah. shocked if he rolls up and wins Rome, then goes off and at least make maybe makes a final or even wins the French. So I don't. Well, you I'm mentioned
1: not... um, expecting. You know, you wouldn't be surprised if Novak pulled out of Madrid, but somebody already did pull out of Madrid, <laughs> and that's Rafa Nadal. So. Clearly, yeah. this injury is a little bit deeper than everybody had hoped. Do we see the King of Clay at the French? I would lean yes still, but I'm, I am... I'm i am starting to be more hesitant bit, about it.
0: Yeah, I'm a bit more concerned than I was maybe when he skipped Monte Carlo, thinking it's okay. I mean, if he even manages to get to Madrid or maybe it's, he starts at Rome and leads into the French Open. I mean, it's pretty clear that Nadal can still do quite well at the French open even without he the best warm-up but I i am a little bit concerned now he put out in his statement that he was that he wasn't really progressing with his treatment and that he isn't where he had hoped to be by this time he obviously he had hoped to be playing but yeah he's now switching to a different treatment he wasn't very specific about the kind of treatment that he'll be he'll be facing from now, I don't know what undergoing. Yeah, I don't know what he'll be uh, yeah, I really don't know. I that's honestly the way I see it. I, I wouldn't be shocked once again if, you know, he rolls up and wins the French Open for a 15th time. Um quite We've frankly, if he's in things. the draw, if he's in the draw and he says he's healthy, I'll, I'll be picking him to win the French Open. But Really? If he's in the draw and he says he's healthy, because Rafa will be pretty clear and say, if he says I'm not 100% fit, then I then I wouldn't pick him. But if he's if he's fully fit and believes that he's fully fit, and even if he's played a little bit before then, I'd be picking him. I don't feel like it's an outrageous take to be saying that the guy who's won it 14 times is going to win it again.
1: Okay. Well, it, will, it would concern me still a little bit that, you know, the lack of practice or whatever. But um, yeah. if he tells me he's fully healthy, I will expect him to go deep. Um, I mean, I know it's not Clay, but, I mean, I had him losing um, to what was, to Maggie McDonald, right, at the Australian. Yeah. I predicted that. I had that in on my papers. Like, I was, you know. And he was still – decently healthy. Yeah, well, um, he picked up he picked
0: up the hip injury late in that match. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, yes, King of Clay on clay won it 14 times already. I get it. I still would be a little bit hesitant on taking him to go all the way just because yeah. of, I don't know how long his body could hold up just because there's a very good chance that he goes to France and then picks up an injury in like the quarterfinals. Exactly. Like that's I, a very likely situation. Yeah. I wouldn't if I wouldn't be shocked he's if, be, if you're telling me he's gonna be healthy the whole tournament until he loses. Okay, well, that's, my, I'll take him to well, win. that's my caveat. I'll take him to win. Yeah, exactly. Yes. That's
0: my caveat. If he's healthy throughout the tournament, he's the unequivocal favorite and he's going to yes. win. Well if yeah. if he's if he's a hundred percent fit, he showed no indication of losing at the French Open in best of five on clay. I don't think he's going to be a hundred percent fit, to be yeah. clear. I I'm a little concerned now. I'm not at the completely panic. He's retiring in two weeks mode, but I am a little concerned. I wouldn't be shocked if he decides to just call it after the French. I wouldn't be shocked if he decides to call it at the end of this year. I wouldn't be shocked if he decides to play next year and he's fully healthy. I wouldn't be shocked if he rolls up and, you know, gives himself a good showing at the French open. So all possibilities are still available. Just I mean we'll we'll keep you posted. We'll see.
1: Yeah, well, there's another kind of and maybe not to say unequivocal, but there's another favorite, um, transitioning to the women's side. Um, that is now back in action. Um, Ika Sviantek is back. She's playing she looks pretty good. Um, obviously coming back from Injury. It's good to see her back out there. Um, defending her title in Stuttgart. Um, as it stands as we record this, the semifinals are set at Shwiątek Jabur, let's Have some predictions, my friend. Um, I that first semifinal scares me. I'm very curious to see what happens there because you have. Undoubtedly, one of, if not the, currently best clay court players on the women's tour, in Iga and then you have well, for starters, both of them coming back from injuries in their own way. On has had a little, has a few, has had a few weeks, and just when Jabur was kind of getting back into her rhythm, Siantek gets injured. Um, Siantek looked really good in her first round match. Um, second round fought back, did Th- like. Svantec is the kind of player that will lose the first set as a warm-up. Well she's not I, at a like she's not hundred percent during the first set a lot of times. Yeah. And then she uses the next two to absolutely go for it, right? I, I mean I agree with your point as a whole.
0: I will point out though that this this win against Pliskova um after losing the first set, that's her first three set win of the year. So there has been some there have been some struggles in terms of winning the matches where things got a little bit complicated. It seemed like she's just rolled throughout she's I mean she's just won in straight sets and blitzed through everyone. And then when she get comes up against Elena Rybakina or you know one of the or Krajikova, she hasn't been able to win the matches where the opponent gave a little back to her. So I think this is a good stepping stone for her, really positive sign all about building confidence and momentum i think on the clay she's still the unequivocal favorite wherever she goes and yeah, regarding Jabir, um regarding Jabur, she's put together a really good stretch now ever since coming back she won the title in charleston was it
1: yes charleston but i will she say won. there is the additive point that it is not that that was not red clay
0: yeah it, it was green clay but at the same time slightly different Yeah, but at the same time, she put together a really solid week in terms of fitness and health, and she stayed healthy throughout. She's had a really good run here now. If Jabir can stay healthy, I mean, well, she would hope to get a lot of points now because she's going to be defending a lot come Madrid-Rome. Good news for her, though, is that she's only defending first-round points at the French Open, so whatever she loses, she could (laughs) gain back with a big run. I... I'm high on Jabir on clay in general. I would,
1: I would still lean Shvantek in that one. I'm taking Shvantek in three,
0: three yeah, setter. I don't, I don't mind loses it. the
1: first set and then wins the next two. What uh, will be my I, prediction? I think
0: it might even be a. I'm gonna go with Shvantek in a tight,
1: tight two. But I so think, are we? T- so we're talking like a six four seven five seven six type of situation.
0: Yeah, I maybe even I fine i'll give you a four score of seven six seven five we'll go with that
1: <laughs> okay that's how we're doing this i will say um probably say let's say a six four set that goes to way in the first set um and then similarly to the plush match second third set kind of roll through so talking <laughs> okay. six like let's say i'll wa- say i'll say six three six two I don't know why
0: we're doing this, because I can't wait to see the look on your face when Jabir wins, like, one and two, <laughs> when we have to record this next week and explain we'll ourselves. S- but We'll see what happens.
1: <laughs> you know, maybe maybe we'll be eating our own words. Who knows? But I would like to think that I have a good grasp on this. Yeah. To the well, second half, Potopova, Savalenka I mean, I... I I'm obvi- I'm going to say Sabalenka. It's quite easy for I mean I don't I hate to be boring. Potapov had a great win over Caroline Garcia. I mean she's had a great road overall. Kuna Matova, then Coco Goff, then Garcia played the 5 and then the 4 seed back to back. Now she faces the 2 seed. Um, I'm high on Sabalenka. I will say I mean I had a lot of confidence in her seeing how she dismantled Chikova in the second round. Two and three. Then what qua- What made me raise some questions was not to say that Paola Badosa is a bad player because she's phenomenal. But she's kind of been on a, like, where has she been route for the last few weeks. Well, yeah, and but- to now this, a three set longer win against Bedosa. not to say that I have lost all hope. It's just like, it does raise a question mark for me. I'm gen well. I'm generally
0: higher on Bedosa than you are. I think um, maybe a little bit. I'm still yeah. high on Bedosa, but it's just kind of like honestly. I think th- I think these are more promising signs. To be honest, yes. given where she given where she was, where seemingly for like the past year she has she's been a shell of herself almost on court. I think these are really really positive signs for her to be doing what she's doing and was really close to getting the win over Robachina at. Miami, and then was also really, really close to getting the win over Sabalenka as well. The two of them are good friends, I
1: know. So here's what I say. I say Sabalenka in a tight two-setter. <laughs> I, will, not I, yeah. will not do scores. Will not do scores. Yeah. But I say Sabalenka beats Potapova. Sviantek beats Jabur, Sabalenka wins in three. Ooh, I like it. Um, I say... Iga's not going to let... Iga's not going to let off. We know she's not going to let off. Um, especially coming back from injury, defending a title. She really, I mean, wait, like wait. any player would, you naturally right. just want to come back and do really well and show off that you still got after the injury. It's good for your mental confidence and all else. I think making the final would do that for her. Um, but I still think just because overall fitness, hot streak, I think Sabalenka comes out in three over Sviantek in the final.
0: Yeah, I... I mean, indoors, too, on that indoor clay where she can get a little more out of her serve and a little more power on the ground strokes. It seems like this is the best clay court for her if she's going to get
1: a win over Sviantek.
0: I don't know. Keep in mind, Sviantek
1: is the defending champion here. Mm. So... I mean, I wouldn't be surprised uh, if Sviantek won in the final. Um, But I am saying, based off of current performance and the fact that Sviantec is just coming back from injury and Sabalenka has been pretty healthy all year. Um I would take Sabalenka in this case.
0: Okay. Well I think uh, I mean I wouldn't sleep on Potapova in general. Sorry to go back to the semifinal No I agree. I, I do think yeah. Sabalenka comes through that. Um might be tighter than people assume it would be, but I think Sabalenka does find a way through that one. Um Sabalenka, Sviantek. I would maybe lean Sabalenka given current form and fitness. The main push I,
1: I think is fitness.
0: Yeah, but I I think, and I I also just think confidence. If it's gonna, if she's gonna get a win over Iga and Clay, it's gonna be during this lead up. I think Iga is still building, but to go against what you said for the sake of it, and for the fact that I I just need to see someone beat Iga in a clay final before I pick them to do it. So I'm going to say Iga in a really tight three-setter, although I I wouldn't be surprised if Sabalenka wins that one.
1: Yeah, I mean, that one's going to be very tight. And I think, like yeah. you said, I mean, Iga's currently building, and I think that culmination comes at the French Open. Yeah. I really do.
0: I, I'm um, certainly – yeah, I'm going to be picking her for the French, I think.
1: But well, well with that said – how rankings? Has anything changed from last week? For the women, for myself, I don't think anything's really changed for me. Um, I don't know, I don't remember exactly what I said last time. I but don't either. I mean for myself, I am sticking to Eagle One, Sabalanka two. Um, I say I think I said Jabur at three.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I believe I said what I who did I say at four? I can't remember for the life of me. Yeah. Um I think this did one's I a say rough. Jesse Pagula at four? You might or have Coco. I think I said one of the Americans at no, four. No, no, you then... didn't
0: I didn't you didn't have Coco in there, but I think you Or er, at four, but I think you did you did say Jessica Pagula.
1: And I believe my five I kind of floated in the Sakari, Golf, <laughs> Garcia, Kvitova range.
0: Yeah. So, and, oh, I remember I said I
1: remember I said um not Rabakina just yet because I wanted to see something substantial this year on clay. Um,
0: yeah, fair.
1: I if anything, my changes are on the men's are on the men's side. So,
0: yeah, if you're I, women's, go
1: ahead. I went
0: with I listeners. If you hear this, um, reach out to us on socials and tell <laughs> us what our five was. Yeah. Um, but I will go with Shriantek at one, just for the sake of it. I think I had Jabur at two or something. But to me, Jabur Sabalenka, two, three. doesn't really matter the order. Four, I'm going to go with Pagula. Just throw her in there. And then five. Huh. I don't know. <laughs> we'll throw in a wild card. Coco um, golf looks good. Why not?
1: Sure. All right men's side now um huh i there's a there's, oh, there's a lot should, of change oh, no, actually, there's, yeah, there's a few changes currently with yeah. my men's side yeah i've got some changes too i've got some changes um so who wants to go first you you want me to go first yeah I have okay time to think so for <laughs> myself I'm actually going to write this down so we can actually refer to this next week. Um, I'm going to say at number one, Carlos Alcaraz. Carlos uh, currently tops my power rankings. Um, We discussed how we feel about Novak's losses. But for me, you have to be realistic. And for me, that drops him down on my list. Um, At number two... I am going to put this one's kind of difficult, but I'm going to put Novak at two. Fair I don't know. I I'm hesitant to do so. I I am really hesitant to do so. But you cannot deny his sheer ability. Um so I think at number three, I'm going to put Yannick Sinner. Um, ready to see him come back healthy. At number four, an easy Andre Rublev. Um, again, after his Monte Carlo run, undeniable. And at my number five spot, I have a floating trio. <laughs> um, Stefanos Fritz. And if you ask me officially to put someone in, in five, it will be Holger Runa at the moment.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely fair. I'm gonna go with. Jok- Unan. I'm gonna go with Alcaraz one, um, Djokovic two. We'll throw in. Hmm. Yeah, we're gonna have the exact same list, but I'm gonna go Center at three, Rublev four, but I think I think Runa has actually proved himself to be a comfortable five. He has. And then honorable mention, I'll throw in Tsitipas Fritz and obviously healthy Nadal when he comes into the equation. We'll see.
1: Yeah, we'll see how that goes. But with that said, over to our uh, mailbag. Do you want to introduce this? These, uh, these questions?
0: Sure. Why don't we head over to our first one? Um, will Djokovic lose in a Grand Slam for the rest of the year? Slash, is the U.S. Open allowing him to play?
1: To answer that first question, yes. Yes, 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 yes. And I genuinely think it will probably be the French. Um, I think the one that um, I kind of see him as untouchable right now is Wimbledon. Um, But the French Open, it would not surprise me. Um, He could lose to – there's any number – Honestly, everyone on that I mentioned for my power rankings, I can see them beating uh. Novak, except for... Wait. um, Runa and Fritz are the ones that I would kind of hesitate with. I don't know. Uh, Alcaraz, for me, Alcaraz can beat him. Sinner, can, A healthy Sinner can beat him. A healthy Sitsipass, maybe I give him the, the slight edge. Um, A healthy... A Rublev that played the way he did at yeah. Monte Carlo, maybe. No, I don't. I I really don't think he has. If really, if, Djokov,
0: if Djokovic is healthy and firing the way we think he's going to be coming into Roland Garros, sure. Best of best of five on clay. Novak's just a different beast to these guys. I think I can see Alcaraz beating him. Like I, that's a matchup that I really want to see happen, and it needs to happen. Um, I can see Alcaraz beating him. I can see Tsitsipas giving him trouble. Ultimately, I don't think he's going to beat him. Um, and this is all upside wise. Eventually, I could see Runa beating him. I don't think he's ready yet to beat Djokovic in a best of five setting on clay. Yes, that's that's um, where
1: that's where my hesitation comes as well. Is the fact that you need to remember that this is a best of five setting, yeah. right? So it's
0: a and lot it's a major. About and the we know Djokovic, and how yeah. exactly. We know Djokovic peaks for the majors, that is his number 1 priority at this stage in his career. I'll go. Yeah, I I honestly I can Sinner and Sinner has the upside to do it. He just hasn't gotten a big win yet.
1: He also needs the opportunity to do it. Just in general, like he needs yeah. to meet Novak in a match which we haven't seen um since enough. Wimbledon. Where exactly. he took
0: him he took him to five sets, but to be fair, those first two sets were great he didn't really make those final 3 sets competitive. So I, I, I think he's improved. I also
1: think the change in surface is going to do a lot because I think Sinner is just yeah, generally I think, more I think Klay is with be- Yeah, I think Clay is much
0: better. Yeah, I think Clay is much better for that matchup. But I'm still I'm I'm still not comfortable saying Sinner would beat Djokovic on clay. Um so yeah, I I think a healthy Nadal, Alcaraz and the maybe The only the only one that I will Sipasta say Sinner.
1: The only one that I will say that I can definitely I feel confident in saying that he can slash will is Alcaraz. Yeah. Um everyone else, it's kind of just at like maybe he they have the potential, the ability. Cause there's 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 just players that just can't. That can't do it. And if we're talking about in general, let's say past the French, if we're talking about the US Open, Daniel Medvedev enters that conversation twenty million times over. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's done it before, but I don't think we he know can do he it to play, obviously yeah but if but if Novak does play the u s open, which stands at that second half, we're not you know fortune tellers. I wish we I wish we could tell, but we don't know and um it's gonna be interesting well, to see yeah. if that given if the current does,
0: yes. yes, given the current USA landscape, um I would venture that i would I would lean yes that he does end up playing the u s open. But uh, I mean, we have to see. I wouldn't. I wouldn't put any money on it yet. Um, yeah, I think he's got a shot. But uh, yeah, I. I don't know. I'm not super. I'm not. I'm not betting on him playing the U.S. Open. And if he does, I'm not sure it's a given. Even though he is a. Former champion and is great on the hard courts. The US Open hasn't been a given for him recently. He might be the favorite, but I don't know if I'd be picking him to just win it without thinking about all the other contenders. So I would be picking him to win Wimbledon. I think the delta between him and the rest of the field is the biggest at that slam. But to answer that question, yeah, I do think he's going to win. I, I do think he's going to lose in a slam at some
1: point this year. Yep. But to move on to our last question or last point for the week or
0: actually i want to throw in one oh, more you
1: do i, w- I want to throw okay. in one
0: more before we do that last question okay, given go ahead. Go given the it. fact that we didn't cover any college headlines and it is a uh, conference tournament play this weekend be sure to check all of that out um does learner tn's eligibility change anything in college tennis can usc win it all now Um, So if any of you listeners didn't know, or those of you who don't follow college tennis that closely, Lerner TN now eligible for USC after fighting some eligibility concerns throughout the year. Um, Credit to him for sticking through that and not just deciding, oh, screw it. I'm going to go play professionally because this is too much of a hassle. I think it's a very upstanding decision for him to decide to stick with his team and play the rest of this year when he was allowed to. Um, to answer that question, yeah, I do think Lerner TN on USC changes that landscape of college tennis with him healthy and in the lineup. I do think that just makes them just that much tougher to beat. I think USC can win it all. I, They they could be on the edge of tier one, but also, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see how things work with him in that lineup. He's playing well from what I've seen. Um, if you want to learn more about Lerner Tn's game, be sure to check out my article on him where I break down every aspect of his game, all his junior success, and what he may bring to the college tennis world on our website, www.crackrackets.com. Do you have anything to add to that, Richard?
1: I don't. I mean... You did a lot of the research on Lerner Tien and you know in his game and I mean, wrote a whole freaking article on it so I'm not gonna follow that up but I agree a player with huge upside um, and I think um, the fact that he did decide to fight it and not back down um, shows a true love for the Trojans and for that team and I think they're gonna be a really formidable foe with a guy like Leonard Tien at the helm of that team. Do I think they win at all? I don't say definitely. I say they could now, for sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. They definitely, they're definitely now,
1: exactly. Now they're definitely in that conversation. Um, But with teams like Texas out there, I can't be so confident. Um, I mean, like, for all we know, Tien could go and win every single match moving forward. But at the end of the day, it still is a team competition and you need everybody else to win. And not to say that any other player on USC is is not good. They're all amazing players. But you never know if they are going to be, like I said, like a Texas, for example, yeah. which was before Learner TN the overwhelming favorite. Yeah, I do
0: think, though, that everyone benefits from Learner TN just being able to move a step down in the lineup. Well, other than Stefan Dostinich, who's remained at one for them while TN's made his debut at two, and I don't know if he played three N or not, but he's predominantly playing at two from what I've heard and from what I've seen. Um, Dawsonich looked good. I think it's lit a f- bit of a fire underneath him, knowing that TN's kind of on his heels. He's won every match that he's played since TN made his debut. Um, but yeah, Lerner's a phenomenal player. I think his entire team's going to benefit from that. Maybe USC... USC is now in that conversation of, okay, you wouldn't be shocked if they come away with an NCAA title at the end of May, but I wouldn't pick them to win necessarily.
1: Yeah. But now on to that final little fun question uh, that we have um, just to wrap things up here. The best tennis couple now that Roger is retired. Um, so we're talking couples where both are players are um, player, our tennis players uh, professionally, one of them needs to still be active at the very minimum. Uh, like we had Roger and his wife, Mirka, who she had her own career reaching number 76 at a, a career high in singles, I believe. Um, so we're saying at least one half of the couple still needs to be actively playing. So who are you throwing in there? Archett? who are you throwing in? Well, I, I think it, it depends how
0: we're viewing this. Like, are we viewing this as, Oh, the best tennis players, put together but i'm gonna go off of vibes like i'm gonna go with who would i want to spend a day with and to me i have i have two i have two sets that i throw out i think we have the same
1: sets in mind
0: yeah um either gail Monfis and alina svitolina yep i i think they're the best tennis one in general too the most accomplished at least or um Or I would even throw in uh, Alex Diminar and Katie Bolter.
1: Yeah, we had the same two in mind. Um, Just to throw in a little bit of fun there, let's throw in, because why not, Fabio Fonini and Flavia Panetta. (laughs) Um, Again, why not? Um, No, there's a lot of great tennis couples. And I think, I mean, like you said, um, Svitolina and Monfils, probably the most extensive history, lest we not forget Flavia Panetta is a Grand Slam winner um and fabio fanini certainly has tennis history yeah for sure um but no i mean like i i definitely agree with the second one as well though Uh, alex demon and katie bolter is a great uh pick as well um
0: it it depends
1: on what you want to ask though is it you know is it dominance is it um kind of like you said vibes who we'd love to spend with you know, spend time with. I think it'd be really fun to spend a day with Malfi and Svitolina. Yeah. Um,
0: but yeah. an apology to Breakpoint fans: the Netflix uh, docu series covering tennis. If you haven't seen that, go check it out. But obviously, if you're only here from Breakpoint and didn't know that Matteo Berrettini and Ila Tamianovich yes. are broken up, which the Netflix series fails to. <laughs> address but yeah
1: they would have been up there if we had if they were still together we would have yeah. definitely mentioned them but unfortunately
0: um, mateo had to go to the oh man i forgot what it was called what what was the joke where he went to the office room or something oh i oh mateo got sent mateo got sent to the conference room that's what it was
1: oh yeah <laughs> yeah okay yeah i remember that yeah yeah because I remember um, somebody found the I- the interview where Lanovich was on the balcony doing the, interview yeah, the tennis yeah, yeah. channel. That was a very fun, uh, very funny tweet to find. But with that said, that is all the time we have for this week. Make sure to check us out on socials at RichardMyo3, um, at uh, SureshArchit, Archit, right? Yes. Um, and then of course at Cracked Rackets every well we're, we're gonna try to stick to this every monday we'll be posting uh some question boxes to get some mailbag questions from you guys and if you happen to come up with something after that before that whatever you can always tweet at us using exactly. hashtag see our counterpunch yeah
0: feel free to or even you know send us the instagram DM, us dm or yeah, yeah sl- slide in we don't we don't care but um yeah twitter instagram you know where to find us check out all our other great content from correct rackets, whether that's Alex Gruskin's mini break, all the podcasts we have covering the challenger tour and the college tour on the great shot podcast feed. Um, Check out all the work we check. Well, check out our social medias, check out, tune into our live streams on watch ESPN, whether that's sec action, ACC action, tune into our big 10 coverage on YouTube. We've got it all covered. Wow. Um. Anything else, Richard?
1: Nope, that's all I got.
0: Oh, uh, special shout out to our super producer Daniel Westoff for the editing job that he does day in day out here at Cracked Rackets. I guess that's it. We'll and talk to you guys all soon. That said,
1: we'll catch you guys next week. Goodbye.